I'm Claire Parker. And I'm Ashley Hamilton. And, and this, this is Celebrity, Celebrity Memoir Book Club. The podcast run from the goods of our soul by two women who have full-time jobs in the middle of a pandemic, honestly trying our best. Oh my God, I did not know that you said the word goods. For some reason that came out weird and I was like, no, it definitely came straight out from our gizzard. <laughs> <laughs> These, this podcast really is the gizzard of my mind. Um, just thrown onto a plate. Yeah, that comment that Claire made was... In fact, not out of pocket. It was in reference to a recent reviewer who said our audio was bad. And due to the fact that we are, um, you know, not professional audio engineers, occasionally we just have to do the best we can. <laughs> but that opinion, that review is the opinion of the few. And what we do this for is the many. The many. We love you guys. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so fucking excited. Ashley, I'm so excited. Yeah, Claire. Do you have like a memoir from the week or something? Yeah. My title for this week's chapter, I call it Hope. When Beautiful. I close my eyes, I see Barack Obama. I <laughs> am. Uh, here's the thing. I feel like I was in a real funk and a half the last while. I, I'm still, you know, I still have some aftershock of the winter blues. And I'm sure it'll shock me again soon. I think that I'm we not. We are dead in the middle of winter. So I don't know what you mean aftershock of the winter blues. It is. February. I know. 19th. I'm just saying I went through a real pit where I was feeling blue as hell. And now I'm like a little bit purple. Um, nice. nice. <laughs> Ohio, Virginia. Ugh. Ohio. Uh, Don't call me that. You know how that affects me. Sorry. That is triggering. That was a triggering state choice. But I just spent like now I'm states. blue again. Um, okay. So anyway, I had a pretty. So yesterday I was hanging out with this guy that I'm seeing and we ended up just accidentally um, getting super day drunk. We were just going to have a little brunch and we ended up drinking all day. I was absolutely hammered. I went to bed at like 11 PM. Um, and then I woke up today feeling, you know, not my top condition, but also not terrible because people keep saying as I get older, I will start getting hungover and it just hasn't really happened yet. I'll just keep drinking more and more and more so that my stamina goes up. Yeah. But anyway, so here's the point is that even though yesterday was, you know, raucous and unplanned and whatever, it really gave me this like lightning under my butt excitement for summertime in New York City this year. It'll be because I think summer in New York is fun because the rest of the year is so terrible. But now we've had a year and a half of horror. So this summer, I like really just feel inspired to start training, start getting my body. I want to eat healthy and I want to sleep and I want to work out so that I am prepared to ruin myself this summer. I want to make bad choices. I'm going to do drugs. I'm going to really fuck shit up. And it is going to be exciting. And I'm I am so excited for you. full of hope. <laughs> Oh my God, I'm so excited for you. So, Claire, how was your week? It was pretty good. I like don't have a ton to say. I think I'll have a more interesting life once we get out of this pandemic. I do have a PSA. Sure. So this week, I've been like blowing a lot of money on home decor, as many of you know. <laughs> um, and so I'm really trying to reel it in and get my savings back in order, get my budget on track. And so I went this week to Trader Joe's to do like a grocery haul because... I was there. You were there, but they weren't. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's who we're doing this for, the them. <laughs> um... But I will say I went to Trader Joe's and I got sprinkle on parm for like pasta. And I don't even, the parm tasted like blue cheese. Excuse me? Yeah, it tasted like blue cheese. So the PSA is don't buy parm, buy blue cheese, or it's make sure to check your parm before you put it on a pasta. It was just a don't buy parm from Trader Joe's, honestly. I don't think, th I think 
Trader Joe's does a lot of great things. I had their gnocchi and it was incredible. I had a meatloaf last night and it was incredible. Can I say something? Mm -hmm. I think that when it comes to Trader Joe's, it it does you best to stick to the frozens. The frozen food I've had from there has been out of this world incredible. Those chicken tenders, loved them. The flowers don't do good. They Mm -mm. don't have a good selection of flowers and the parm was inedible. (laughs) That is a huge bummer. Did you end up getting any food in your system? You know what? I had actually already had an entire half of a meatloaf that was meant for a family. So (laughs) I just kind of settled with that. And it turned out the break I took from eating the pasta that I didn't like was exactly the break I needed to know that I was actually very full already. Oh, that is actually a blessing. So in many ways, it was like when you ruin your own food by like putting salt all over it or something. Like Yeah, some real eating disorder behavior. (laughs) Eating disorder 101. I did have to go to the store again today to buy some odds and ends. Because once Ashley, again, is this interesting though? No. Okay. So let's <laughs> let's just skip into the. We have a lot to talk about. Yeah, you're right. Do you want to announce, I just want, friends? This is me trying to make the podcast better for you guys. Me and Ashley are like actively every week. We're like we're not going to ramble. So don't say we don't fucking do anything for you. We're literally trying. Okay, but if you want my grocery list, let me know, and we'll do a whole Patreon where I just read off what's in my fridge. <laughs> and people laugh, but some people want that. Okay. Anyway, this week part. One of three. This is a three-parter. Part three, we'll have an amazing guest, Amy Hart from Love Island. I am so thankful that, first of all, she was on Love Island because I love that show. And second of all, that she brought this book into our lives. She brought Troublemaker by Leah Remini, the story of surviving Hollywood and Scientology. And it is so good that we are giving it three parts because I think it deserves three parts. We have once again gone through and done an outline. We're coming with facts. We're coming with quotes. We don't have a ton of outsider information, but I think Leah gives us all that we need. I mean, she name drops, she cult drops, she cult escapes. Yeah, and I think that the third episode in this trilogy, the Amy episode, gives a lot of good context for cult shit. Yeah, Amy's super into cults, and she's also done all the aftermath research, and so she has actually watched Lee Remini's yeah. TV show, and she listens to the podcast, so she has a lot of follow-up knowledge, which will be very interesting once we get you super involved in the story. Today's episode is going to take you through Leah's childhood, how she got in a cult in the first place, the horrifying facts of growing up in a cult, the weird kind of like pseudo-slavery she engaged in as a child that her mom put her into, um, becoming a famous actress in Hollywood, the audition cycle, and then honestly what it's like to be a married mom in Scientology and the weird fucking pregnancy shit that they go through. I'm so excited. Before we get into it, Ashley, what did you know about Scientology going into this? This book was absolutely fascinating to me. Like 10 pages in, I was losing my fucking mind because I did not know shit about Scientology. All I knew about it is the big blue building in the middle of Hollywood. I like kind of thought it was just an LA thing. Like I didn't even know it was global or whatever. I had no idea that L. Ron Hubbard was like banished from England and had to live on a boat because he was a cult leader. Um, I like really just thought it was some, you know how there's like cults and there are like goofy belief systems mm-hmm. where it's like nobody is going to be murdered for this. And like they are, you know, believing something that doesn't quite check out. But like you can think what you want to think, like low level Christianity. You know what I mean? Where I'm just like, OK, did Jesus take a three day stroll around Easter time? Yeah. Don't know. But mm-hmm. are you hurting anyone thinking that? No, whereas like high level Christianity where they are like, you know, doing religious persecution. Like I did not know that we were at that level, you know, I really thought it was just like a goofy little like pastime. Like, um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a similar example and I truly cannot. Yeah. Maybe there are no goofy pastimes. Like liking football. 
Uh, <laughs> you thought it was okay. Like I thought it was like a hobby. You know what I mean? Like something you do, like not professionally, but like after school, or like you astrology go. kind of maybe. Yes, I thought it was very astrology adjacent, where it's like a ho- like you like it and like you engage in science, and where you, you can like learn about it, and it gives you tools for helping your productivity level. I had no idea it was like a life threatening condition. Yes. Okay. I did. Uh huh. Because I guess many years ago I watched the HBO documentary Going Clear. Okay. I'm not even 100% sure. Like, so don't put a gun to my head and make me promise that. But I do know at one point I watched the Scientology documentary. I do feel like I knew it was a cult going into then, but I, I'm not sure where I knew that it was deeply dangerous. Yeah. I don't know if it pre- predated watching the series. There wasn't even a lot of the series that I took with me, but I just did know that it was insane and dangerous. And so that's why I was always confused as to how it kept getting new members and like how it was surviving because it was so clear to me that it was a cult. I feel like my mom is very anti-cult. Yeah. I think that your mom is like hyper engaged in like Hollywood dark magic. Well, also she like loves a good therapy. And I think in the seventies, there was this whole time where like there became all this pseudo therapy that was like a lot of California self-help. We have to break you down to absolute nothing and then build you back up. And then when we build you back up, your soul belongs to us. I have an aunt, a great aunt and uncle who are into all that shit. Like I had a friend who got into landmark. My mom was like, cult. cult." (laughs) (laughs) She's really got her cult red flags up. So I feel like I'd always known that she knew that Scientology was a cult. And then I saw the documentary. And so I was always kind of unsure how it was still, passing in everyday society that people were still going to it because to me it's like um I don't know it's like anything else but I guess all religions get people somehow like people don't give a shit yeah but it was interesting hearing that you didn't really know about Scientology because it was one of those things where I thought everybody knew about it and everybody knew it was dangerous and so it's interesting for me to hear that not everybody knew even though now from reading this book I know that there's like big Scientology pillars like like big poles of Scientology there's like the New York one, there's obviously their like big headquarters in Florida. There's obviously that enormous building in um, LA and like there's a handful of others, but I don't think it's really in the Midwest. Yeah. Like the way that in Los Angeles, when you're driving through, there is an enormous blue building that says Church of Scientology in giant gold letters. It is like imposing and impossible to miss. Now that I think about it, the only context I had for Scientology was Tom Cruise. Which is, I think, why I didn't think it was dangerous. Because I was like, if Tom Cruise is, like, shouting it from the rooftops. Yeah, he's five foot six. He's not even that tall. Yeah. Who could he or they hurt? Yeah. He's their king, so he must be the tallest. So they must all be quite small. Yeah, they can't be a physically strong group of people. Okay, so let's get into how Leah got into it. Because I do think this segues perfectly into, like, how does one get into Scientology? So Yes, she was quite helpless at the ripe age of child. <laughs> yeah. So basically Lee Remini, she's born in 1970 in Brooklyn. She's born to parents who are dysfunctional to say the least. She has kind of like a real hothead Italian. She calls him like king of the Paisan dads. I don't know if I'm allowed to say Paisan, but I'm doing it because <laughs> there is like a pizza place in my hometown called Paisanos. And so I feel like if that's allowed, Listen, I grew up with Paisans and my boyfriend's <laughs> a Paisan, so I get to say it. Um, <laughs> But anyway, he was like a hothead, abusive dad. She says he never hit her, but he did hit her older sister a lot. Yeah, he was also just like a screamer. Yeah, so when, and a big hot and cold, which I think is what's important. Yeah, she says when he was on, he was really charming, and but then he would just be so. He was the kind of person who would scream at you and call you a dumb cunt if you pulled the laundry out too early. Yeah, and she, now there's a lot of research about like the amount of trauma that like honestly like just having mean parents or just having nice parents is better than having hot and cold parents because then 
kids don't get like any sort of grasp on reality. Oh, is that true? Yeah, because when you're getting screamed at for the same behaviors that like no one cares about on Monday, but on Tuesday you're being like thrown down the stairs, then you just have no gauge for like what is good or bad and like what's okay and what's not okay. And you like don't develop a good sense of like reading people well because you're just like there is no like order. there's no I remember normal. taking like a psych 101 class and they're talking about like all these rats, how if you zap them randomly, they get depressed. Whereas you, if you zap them every time they do something, like there's no problem because even if they get zapped the same amount of times, because if you feel like if you're in control of the bad things, at mm-hmm. least you feel like there is the sense of, I know what's starting it. Whereas the rats who are getting zapped randomly got depressed, which is and funny. And Scientology is literally them get, like saying that you are in control of the bad things. Yeah. And then randomly picking what the bad things are. So let's get into So she had this hothead dad screamed at her. He tell, she tells one story that I think kind of sums up exactly what you're saying was she goes downstairs or she goes into the kitchen one day and there's like a little paper bag on her chair at the kitchen and she's like looking at it and she doesn't know what to do because she doesn't know what, what will get her screamed at. So she just stares at it and her dad's like, you fucking idiot. Aren't you going to open the bag? And so she opens the bag and there's a doll inside and by the time she realizes it was like a gift, she just starts to cry because she was so overwhelmed and then he screamed at her more he's like well you fucking idiot you cry when someone gives you a gift yeah and she was just like i just don't know and so she grew up in a house where she was constantly in fear yes and then her mother and then they get divorced and of course she's going between the two houses. shock of all shocks that marriage didn't last <laughs> so her mother which i think this is very important was an orphan her parents mm-hmm. both of her parents were died were died <laughs> <laughs> both of her parents were died easter eggs no they were they were actually jewish so they were not doing easter mm, and um, that's why they died <laughs> <laughs> maybe if they believed in the lord they could have come back a few days later yes (laughs) just like jesus himself um no but so she didn't really have a family she was a real hippy dippy bitch Mm. they she said no sugar no rules um well i guess no sugar is a rule (laughs) yeah well there's no sugar available i guess you could go buy it yourself but she wasn't Um, gonna get it for you but leah definitely felt like she had the odd mom out everybody was poor but at least other people's poor moms put together some rice and beans her poor mom didn't do jack shit but Mm -hmm. she did show up one day with a boyfriend named dennis here's what she says about dennis he was not like the other Italian guys that Leah grew up with. He didn't seem to have the man hangups or the macho mentality. He didn't dismiss us or try to shoo us away like everyone else in the neighborhood did. He took everything we said seriously, even though we were kids. Mom said it was because he was a Scientologist. And it was. But I do think that that's like a very interesting ju- juxtaposition because she clearly felt very voiceless in her life. And so like having, I mean, I feel like that's a very common throughout that throughout this book is that whenever she is heard, she feels very proud and valued. So basically Dennis obviously gets her mom into the church. And one of the big beginning stage things you learn is it is pseudo-psychology. It is like yeah. that 1970s, 1960s. We're going to take a little bit of truth and then use it to kind of trap you. And so her mom gets very involved in the church and even starts working at the church. And she follows her boyfriend there. Her mom obviously feels very lost. She doesn't have parents. She doesn't have a husband. She has two little girls. She follows her seemingly nice boyfriend to the church. And it, she becomes hook, line, and sinker a Scientology convert, 100%. Her whole life is a church. Leah tells this interesting story about one day her mom comes home and she's the mom is trying to explain Scientology and she starts talking about overts. And so overts are anything bad you've ever done in your life. That's mm-hmm. Scientology talk. And basically in Scientology, what they do is auditing. Auditing is the process through which you try to go clear. Being clear is the ultimate goal in Scientology. And basically their theory is much like Catholicism or many other religions is if you repent your sins you are free of them. And so she says, 
And the problem with people is we have these like subconscious reactive minds. When you do something bad and you don't tell anybody what you've done, it lives on you, this overt, and it makes you do worse things because of the guilt. So you can be a good person who does something bad, but if you tell someone, then you're free of that, and now you can go on with your life. And so the goal is to kind of tell away all of the bad, all of the overts, and then you're clear of them. You've gone clear, and that's the goal. And so, for, for example, she's like, tell me something bad you've done. And so Leah tells the story about... I guess she's like, what? She's 11. She's living in Brooklyn. They're broke. Everyone has leg warmers. She's obsessed with getting leg warmers. And she tells this story about how she has been telling boys in the neighborhood that she will trade them a hickey if they steal her leg warmers, which is so funny that she wouldn't even get them to buy it, but steal it. It's like, it is a lot of crimes in one. It is like prostitution and thievery, <laughs> which is a, a tall order for an 11 year old. Like, look, I was not an, a sane 11 year old. Lord knows I was out making out. What, doing whatever. I probably shoplifted a little from CVS, but to com- combine the two and create a small little economy of, of <laughs> sin is... I mean, it is like quite... I feel like as a mother, I'd be like, okay, this is no bueno. <laughs> but her mom doesn't say anything. She just says, thank you for telling me. And Leah cannot believe it. This is a girl who cried at the sight of a doll because she was so in fear. And then to have a mother who suddenly is like, you can do any bad thing and then just tell me and I won't even get mad and now you don't even have to feel guilty... That was huge for Leah and Nicole, her sister. Yeah, it's enormous. I think that to be a kid who can tell your parents an enormous, not even sin, but just like a fucked up thing that you mm. did. And to, like, even to this day, if I do fucked up shit, I'm like scared to tell my parents about it because I don't want my mom to think I'm like a dumb slut or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then you combine with the fact that Dennis is the first man Leah's ever met who's nice. He cooks for them. He's very sweet. She really said, talks about how he treats them like adults and takes what they have to say seriously, which is something that seems great to a seven-year-old, but as adults, we all know it actually isn't good to treat children like adults and that'll come back to bite us. But so basically, the, the other problem is Scientology, in addition to being very expensive, it's very time-consuming. So her mother, in addition to working in Midtown in Manhattan, is not just working at a Scientology church, but she's constantly auditing. So L. Ron Hubbard says you should be doing at least 12 and a half hours of studying or auditing a week. So they call it being on course. And that's where you're just like actively taking Scientology classes. And they have a class for everything. Like there's always mm-hmm. a class that is very sort of self-improvement centric is like basically how they're all titled and presented. First of all, they all cost money, even yes. though... At a certain, like the lower level classes cost like $35. So the barrier to entry is quite low. Yeah. But even those can be up to like, I think two or $300. And then going, once you get on the bridge, which is like the process of going clear, you like work your way up the different levels. Those classes can cost thousands of dollars. Yes. And then, but the problem is that like now you're so ingrained in this system and being on the bridge is such an honor. So there's not like Mm -hmm. a rejection of this like expensive, whatever situation like you are so honored to be like you have to be like invited to certain levels and I also think you if you believe it you want to do it like right. I mean look at what I was thinking actually this week like look at what I pay for therapy look at what I pay for um pilot writing classes like if it's something that you believe will make you better it's worth the money like look at what I thought people pay for college I mean honestly look what people pay for college and then we're gonna turn around and laugh at Leah Remini because she thought she could find spiritual enlightenment if somebody said you can achieve all your dreams and unlock your inner potential and feel like a good person and help to save the world and in all it'll cost is less than a college degree 
Yeah. You might even say yes. And yeah, and I wanted to pull this quote, the overall goal of Scientology, what you're trying to achieve is you are a spiritual being on a mission to clear the planet, to eradicate insanity, war, and crime across the whole world and create a peaceful earth by helping all beings free themselves with Scientology. So like, sure, because we know Scientology as like some loony pseudo-psychology whatever, it is an absurd thing to say out loud, but like, I don't know if you don't know better. It, it's a very noble thing to be part of. Anyone who's part of a religion like and proselytizes is no different, really. Yeah. Basically, Leah, I guess she's now 11 years old. She misses her mom. Her, the point is her mom was spending a ton of time at Scientology. And her mom's like, if you want to spend time with me, why don't you come to the class? So Nicole and Leah start doing this thing. And it, it feels very special. She talks about how when you're a child in Scientology, they treat you with so much respect and that feels incredible. Leah talks a lot about feeling like she was never normal, that she never had the normal mom. She never had the normal life. She mm-hmm. felt like she was poorer than everybody. And so I think to have this to incredible... To like you're being called to something. Yeah, and to have this thing that nobody else knows about. It's more than a hobby. It's a religion. It's a purpose. I mean, really, she felt like at 11 years old, she had found a purpose that made her better than everybody and it was so exciting to her to get to do this adult thing. And so you can see, I mean, look, I don't blame 11-year-old Leah. She was brought in by her mom, and I get the situation she was coming from, and I get it so much that I even understand her mother, Vicky, mm-hmm. who has no parents, has no money, has no direction. Finally, a man is kind to her, and he brings her in to the situation that gets her a job, gives her a purpose. I understand the appeal, and I understand how people fall for it, and I get how at these early levels... So Leah and her sister Nicole start taking classes. The first one is called Success Through Communication, and it's all about how the way you get through the world is you learn how to communicate well with people. And I'm sorry, but like sitting on this couch, do you disagree with that, Ashley? Not for a second. I think communication is good, and it's funny because a lot Some of people... Some would say communication is key. Yeah, I would. I would, and I don't think I'm in a cult. <laughs> um, I'm in a podcast, which is worse, because <laughs> honestly, there's it's worse. <laughs> it is worse. I would sooner... I would, I would love a, a cult to take me away. Cowboy I feel like take a cult, away. at least you've aligned yourself with somebody very successful and charming and charismatic and we don't have that kind of affiliation <laughs> we just yeah. have each other <laughs> <laughs> one of the first classes is called bull baiting and like it sounds like acting 101 so like one mm-hmm. of the, you just sit and you mirror somebody and you try to like sit very still and just feel comfortable in the silence which is like a really good skill to have that is something that will take you far in life because it teaches you not to fidget it teaches you not to be nervous that really is just acting classes and so it's funny that there's so many actors that come out of this because a lot of it is somebody was just like what if we put a little bit of fucked up therapy into an acting class which I think acting classes are actually known for being like if led by somebody bad deeply toxic like I've heard really fucked up acting classes well because they're like trying to like get to the cores of your emotion and like change how you view feelings in like a sociopathic way <laughs> yeah that's the same idea of what cults do which is like i'm gonna break you down to your most barest honest essence so that you can build yourself back up way in, in the way that you choose but if you're just like a 21 year old trying to like fucking get into a colgate commercial i don't know that you need to be yeah. just like torn down to the spine by some woman who lives in a midtown studio and is 56 and didn't make it like <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree with that. So, and then what was the next class they did? Oh, but so bull baiting is another thing. Another belief in Scientology is that all of your overts are projections. Yes. And this will come back up later. It comes up a lot. It's like a core tenet. Something they really teach you (laughs) is the 
problem in your brain is they, what they call the reactive mind. And that's mm-hmm. your thing that where all your overts come from is it's always these evil reactions to things around you. So the first thing they teach you is how to not react. And you can see again why this would be so appealing to somebody like Leah and also why that is somewhat true. There is the truth that a lot of us are projecting. There is the truth that your life would be better if you can learn to control your temper. Like if mm-hmm. you are somebody in chaotic situations, if you come from an abusive home, if you can learn how to regulate your own emotions and kind of like get yourself through those situations. And to like look at the bigger picture before you react instead of just like firing off in the moment. I mean, we could all like I could do well learning not (laughs) to fucking say every dumb bitch idea that comes into my head. But here's where it gets bad. So the description is that you you're literally paired up with somebody in this class and you're supposed to just push each other's buttons. Leah's paired up with her sister, Nicole. Nicole is coming at her, coming at her, coming at her, saying all the things that a sister knows how to get you mad. I mean, I thank God every day I don't have a sister. I would be dead. I mean, we would have stabbed each other in the eyes with forks. Like, it would have been nasty, I think, if I had a sister. The problem is I raised my... I mean, you did this to Thomas, too. I think we both raised our brothers as sisters. Somebody said to me recently, they were like, your brother Thomas is the only man I know who fights with women, like, in a petty way. And I think that Scotty is different now, but, like, he used to really... And I used to do this to him. We did it to each other. Like, I knew exactly what to say to get him to start crying. And then he got better at it as we were like older. And I feel like now as adults, he can really make like when I was like 23, he was just like, oh, yeah, I'm glad that you're like, I don't know, something, something, something because you were fat in high school. And I was just like, I'm going to actually walk off a bridge. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, we all should not be reactive. But um, so they're sitting sisters it's like some weird exercise where every time you're not supposed to move a fucking muscle. If you react, if you blink, if you breathe too heavy, they say flunk and you start again. Yeah. So Leah, I guess somehow gets through. Now it's Nicole's turn. And the instructor who's a man in his thirties comes over and doesn't think like Leah is trying hard enough to push her sister's buttons. So he comes over and he just keeps saying, you have really big tits for a, such a young girl. And he's saying this to a girl who's 13, 14 years old. And she keeps being like, fuck you, dude. Fuck you, dude. And he's like, flonk, flonk, flonk. And he keeps saying it and saying it. And in my head, I mean, Leah does not tell stories of personal sexual abuse. Or I guess there is some physical abuse, but I don't know that she recognizes it as such. But um, yeah, the way that that is not at all what you should be learning. There's a difference between learning to not be so reactive and being able to regulate yourself. And that's different from learning to take any and all abuse and just bury it deep within yourself and allow it to continue. That is a fucked up thing to do to a child, especially in the context of like religious authority. I mean, I read that and I was worried it was foreshadowing for something worse. But even though it didn't happen in Leah's situation, I can't imagine everybody was so lucky. I'm sure it happened in other situations. and training. Yeah, to not be reactive. One of the things that happens is basically they believe everything bad that happens to you is something bad that you put out into the world. And so it's coming back at you. So they have a very different definition of critical. Yes. And basically their definition of critical and critique is like projecting. Mm -hmm. So anything that's upsetting you outside of yourself is something that's upsetting you inside of yourself. And it's like, if you notice it in another person, it means you are doing it too. And so the right. experience, Leah, or the example Leah gives is if you go into auditing, which is like their version of therapy, except for they decide what your problems are. You don't get to decide. So they put the problems upon you. But if you were to go in there and say, well, my boyfriend's hitting me, they would go, well, what in the past life or in this life are you doing that is that because you would only yeah. notice it in somebody. You would only say it. You would only person. notice that you're getting hit if there was something within you that is, or if you had hit somebody. Yeah, and 
the and it's perfect because it protects Scientology in all ways because she basically says, so you would never be critical of Scientology. And even if you tried to be, by default, anything you could say critically of Scientology, you're saying about yourself. Like nothing you say actually exists yeah. truly for another person. Basically, because Scientology is so by the book and they have a chapter and a phrase and a rule for literally everything, which we'll talk about a little bit later, um, there is no room for critical thought. And she says... Oh, I underline that too. Yeah, it says critical thought is not the sort of thing any good Scientologist should be engaged in. And I found that to be such interesting wording for a religion that is about like science and rules. Yeah, I mean, they have a different <laughs> idea of what science is. I mean, literally it's science fiction is Elon yeah. Hubbard's specialty. So it's not really science, it's fiction. And then also just the way they change what critical is so that everything reflects back on you and everything is your yeah. own fault and nothing is the fault of the church. It's just you not doing well enough. But anyway, my point was for like assault grooming, I'm sure it happened because they literally have this concept that like anything bad that happens to you is something that you've projected out into the world. So, and like you only notice it because you created it. And, and I do so see how, that's like yeah. 101 for like how assault is your fault. Well, and <laughs> when we get to the top and you guys will see later, there is horrible, horrific abuse at the top, but it's still your fault. And I do think that's how people get stuck in it. Okay. So basically, so now her, her sister and her mom and Dennis, the boyfriend are all in this. The mother is pregnant and chapter, I mean, this is all just chapter one. Chapter one ends with them being approached by the Sea Org, yes. which is considered to be the highest servants of L. Ron Hubbard. L. Ron Hubbard. It's, it's not, like officer training. It's basically officer tra training. She calls it like being in the clergy or something. So L. Ron Hubbard, I guess, was barred from England. So he had to start living his life on a yacht or like a <laughs> cruise ship. So there's this like fleet of cruise ships. And that's where it came from, Sea Org. Originally, the, the Scientologists who manned the ship were served him or the Sea Org and they were like the highest level of the church besides L. Ron Hubbard. But now it just means anybody who kind of works in service to the church. And right. so they were give, they were sold this bill of goods like, look, you'll get free housing, free clothes, free food. We'll pay you to come work for the church. You're going to be uh, spreading the gospel of Scientology. You're going to be saving people all over the world. You're going to be working for the thing you believe in most. And they said, and take your kids out of school. They go, <laughs> Leah wants to be an actress. Let her be an actress right now. She'll act in Scientology videos. Nicole wants to be a lawyer. She could be a Scientology lawyer. That is not true. Scientology lawyers are fucking top notch. They go to like Harvard Law 12 times. Yeah. There's no eighth grade dropout that gets to be a Scientologist lawyer because they're good at what they do. So Vicky and the two girls move ahead of time and Dennis is going to meet them later. So what is Sea Org? Sea Org based... Wait, so I feel like there should be a bad sound effect whenever you say Sea Org. Like Sea Org. Bum, bum, bum. Okay, but we should do it with our mouths. Yeah, Sea Org. That's not scary. That's like a cute mouse who like does clothes for you. That's a fashion org. Oh, I wish we could get like daunting water splashing on a lighthouse music. Ooh, try and make that. Sea <laughs> org. <laughs> okay. What is this? Okay, so they go to the Sea org. So it's down in Flag, which is in Clearwater, Florida. Also, wait, I want to clarify so that at Flag, um, that is where other members go for like stints for additional training, but it's also where officers train, like the Sea Org people train. So they're there to train as the Sea Org, but people come and visit there all the time for yeah. extended and intensive courses. So there's like a headquarters there with an incredible hotel. And when they land, there's nobody there to pick them up. They go to the hotel 
the hotel's like, you can stay in a nice cabana until a room opens up for you where you're actually going to stay. Oh, just a shite motel. Yeah, it's like a quality inn, and she says it was very low quality. She said the pool is literally a swamp. Yeah. Like, the food gets served from, like, 6 to 7 a.m., and, like, the mess hall is disgusting. The food is, like, instant eggs. It's, like... Absolutely disgusting. And the fancy hotel is where like paying Scientologists stay for yeah. their training. But where they are is this shitty quality and where the people who work and serve the fancy hotel live. And so they get there and the first thing they do is they're separated from their mom. Yeah. So the women go with the women in like dorm style homes. And then the two girls are sent into a room that should normally have like two queen beds, but now has six bunk beds. Mm-hmm. And they live their dorm style and they have to sign away their rights for eternity. They they pledge like a billion years of service. They pledge one billion years to the Sea Org. <laughs> and then they join what is called the Estates Project Force, part of the basic Sea Org training for new recruits. It was a lot like boot camp. All EPFers spent 12 hours a day doing hard labor, like pulling up tree roots with our bare hands, working having machinery on the grounds of Fort Harrison and the Sandcastle, or cleaning bathrooms and hotel rooms. Then for two and a half hours each day, we would do basic courses for the EPF, in which you learned the Sea Org policies and rules and what it meant to be a member. So essentially what's happening here is that the EPF, so like the tr- the boot camp is how like the maids and like wait staff and like the service at the hotel is Sea Org members in training. So they're basically like telling you that you're training when really what they're doing is like making the experience nicer for the paying customers. <laughs> also, she's 12. Yeah, so she's 12 and she is put in charge of an entire task force of housekeeping. And this includes some adults and she's 12 and she's in charge of them. Mm-hmm. And this is uh, where we find out that they don't like believe in children because they think that everybody is just a soul and that we come back infinitely like it and because of all of their weird things about overts and projections and critique they really don't think it's your job to take care of anybody and that we've all existed eternally so like you there are no such thing as children yes and also there's one very interesting little blurb where she says that one of the reasons they don't value school because i know what you're thinking with 12 hours a day of manual labor and then two and a half hours a day of coursework when do they go to school? They actually genuinely don't find school important. And they're like, if you can find time to do classes outside of all of your obligations, then like power to you. But they believe that a Scientology education is the equivalent of a real world PhD. So we learned two horrifying stories because of this. Mm -hmm. One, obviously that Leah is put in charge of this group in this experience. One of the things she talks about is she, she like doesn't say yes, sir, to a senior, like an adult man mm-hmm. in his forties. So what he does is he puts her on a boat and drives her out to the middle of the ocean and throws her overboard in an Elron Hubbard like written down practice of what you do to someone disobeying called literally overboarding, which is a way to teach people to obey. Yeah. And he just threw her in the ocean in the middle of it until she gave up and she wouldn't. So he finally brought her, like he didn't let her die, which I guess is good, but he threw a 12 year old into the middle of the ocean and that was just like par for the course. Also, if you'll remember, their mother, Vicky, was pregnant. Um, she gives birth at this point and now has a newborn, but she has to work also 12 hours a day. And she was, they took the baby and they put it in a nursery where just another Sea Org member who was like another 12 or 13 year old watched all of the babies. And so yeah. Leah talks about going and checking on her baby sister, Shannon, who was just left to pee herself in her crib all day, screaming, crying, barely it being was fed. genuinely an abusive scenario. She also, I mean, horrific. And so Leah says this is one of the few things that gave her pause because she was like, I didn't care what they were doing to me. Like, I didn't care about the labor, but I was worried to like, is this right by a baby? She also also meets a good lifelong friend named Sherry. Mm-hmm. Sherry is somebody who was also a second generation Scientologist, meaning her parents were in it. Her older brother had been in Sea Org for a year already. 
And she, when she was 11, got recruited to go to New York City and work for the Sea Org in New York City, even though her parents were in D.C. So when she was 11, she got sent to New York City. She got there, hated it, called her parents, begged to come home. And they said, nope, figure it out, bitch. And she was just like, I guess they she basically got- had her in the custody of another Scientology member so that she could be a 12 year old living in New York City alone. But that because it's Scientology and they don't believe that children need to be taken care of. They basically were like, yeah, this is like the roof over your head, I guess. And I hope you can figure out where you can find a winter coat. Like, good luck with that, champ. They're making, I think, $25 a week being working 12 hours a day, six days a week. Mm-hmm. She says once every... One day every two weeks, you got the day off. Yeah. And they would like go to the mall, but they had no money. But she specifically says, as bad as it was there, it was better than going back and being with their dad and his violent outbursts. So then okay. here's the kicker. So you may think, well, when's Dennis get there? What does he have to say? He never shows up, believe it or not. He gets another woman pregnant at this time. So another thing is these girls and Vicky, their mother, three young daughters, one newborn baby... Vicky sold everything she owned to come down here. She has no parents. She has a divorced husband. She has two children. I mean, she really had nowhere to go. She had no, they had nowhere to go. They had no resources. They were making fucking nothing with this thing that they were, they were now getting deeper and deeper because when you work at the Sea Org, you are getting your courses for free. But if you leave the Sea Org, you owe that back. It's a whole thing. They really are fucked. I mean, another weird thing that I learned from this chapter was, Uh, an honorific is sir or mister and Mm -hmm. you only call that to people who are like above you or at a certain level and you call it male or women I mean men or women get called sir or mister as an honorific isn't that weird equality baby yeah (laughs) in a perfect world we're all men (laughs) I want to say something that is very interesting about her being chucked overboard and all of the drama at the sea org so as we've learned up until this point Scientology is about like evening out your emotions like creating like going clear, you're trying to like calm your reactive mind. Meanwhile, every authority figure that she meets from this point forward is an absolute deranged psychopath. Like this man threw her overboard for not saying yes, sir. Like that does not sound very like much like it lacks reactivity. Yeah, no, everybody's a psychopath. I mean, so they're stuck here doing manual labor. They're literal children. Mm -hmm. And finally what happens, the way they get out is after about a year... Leah has a, a knowledge report written about her. So something they learn in the Sea Orgs is they have very strict sex codes. And that is, if you are not married, you are not allowed to touch the opposite sex in any way. Yeah. At all. So somebody writes a knowledge report that she had gotten felt up. And of course, the man doesn't, the boy doesn't get in trouble. It's very like kind of like Mormon. It's like, well, what did you do to make him want to feel your boobs? And it's like, I don't know. I had boobs. Yeah. Even honestly, as a girl who doesn't have boobs, like they'll feel anything. They'll find them. They'll find anything in the general area. It's a real dartboard situation where there's just aiming for the center and (laughs) (laughs) wherever it lands and whatever it lands on. The fun is in the game. You know, it's fun to throw. <laughs> and the scoreboard's just extra. But um so somebody writes her up and she is found guilty and because of this she is going to get thrown into the rehabilitation project force which sent a chill down her spine. Why you may ask? This is maybe the sickest thing of all <laughs> because it's basically like a prison sentence. So the RPF um, were easy to identify. She says, in 110 degree Florida heat and humidity, these men, women, and even children were forced to wear all black from head to toe as they leave, as they did heavy messed work. Mess is an acronym for matter, energy, space, and time. Like cleaning grease traps in the kitchen or scrubbing dumpsters. And that wasn't all they had to do for their spiritual rehabilitation. 
They also had to run everywhere they went, to the bathroom, to the galley, anywhere. They had virtually no liberties. As long as they were in the RPF, they worked pretty much seven days a week, 365 days a year. I think they like weren't allowed to talk. <laughs> Plus, they were doing... Yes, yeah, so they're not allowed to speak. They're, they had to exist separately from everybody else. They were mm-hmm. running everywhere in the heat. Um, and it didn't... like, And you had to do audits all the time. You were literally never free. You have to call everybody sir. It's the ultimate form of punishment. And your time there could last for months or even years during which you basically weren't even considered a person. So, of course, her mom is like, well, absolutely not. They get out of the Sea Org in this way where it's like you're basically thrown out. But now you basically admit that you weren't up to the challenge. Like, that's how you can get out. But now you owe money for all of the courses. And the lodging because they paid for you to live there and stuff. Yeah. So they get to. So they decide to move to L.A. and move in with other Scientologists. Yeah. Because there's a big Scientology practice in L.A. I also want to point out. Sorry. This is like kind of similar to what we said earlier about. Um, there being a rule for everything and no room for critical thought within Scientology. But I think this is very interesting that when you have a question about anything within Scientology, your questioning is not welcomed. And if you disagree with something in a course, your supervisor will say, okay, well, let's see what you don't understand here. And I think that that is very telling that there is no there's no room for discussion about any of these policies. You're, yeah. if, you, if you don't get why this is important, you're wrong. Yeah, the also weird thing is something that's very foolish about Leah who seems to be kind of a spitfire is that she really, they really do believe that there is an L. Ron Hubbard written rule about everything. Mm-hmm. And yet when she got in trouble, when she was overboarded, it was because she read somewhere that if you finish your work well, then you're done with your task and you can have the day to yourself. And then she told them they could all hang out by the pool because they had done a good job cleaning quickly and successfully. And when he caught her relaxing, he overboarded her. But it's like one of those, I mean, that's one of those inherent fallacies is the idea that like there could be a billion rules and there's no room for interpretation because right. everything has room for interpretation. Uh-huh. Yes. But her mom does like, I guess enough is enough. And they moved to yeah, LA. I think making your child, a, like, I think it was one thing to have them be um, just like a regular laborer, but to have them be a prison laborer was a bit much for a. I agree. And I'm <laughs> glad she finally like stood up enough to get them to a different town still crazy. within Scientology. I was talking to somebody about how they stayed in Scientology and they were like, how could you do that? But I'm like, I don't know. I think all religions are kind of like that. Like, look at the book of Job. <laughs> so they leave LA. They move in. They leave They Florida. leave for LA. They move in with other Scientologists. They're like living in living rooms. They're like running around. They now have this thing called a freeloader's debt that we were talking about, which is like they owed back all the money. And of course, so Leah was in eighth grade when they moved down to the Sea Orgs. She should have been in ninth grade, but of course she had not gone to school for a year. She convinces her mom when they get to LA to let her not re-enroll in school. She says that um, she felt, as most Scientologists do, that studying Scientology is more important than getting a traditional education. So she basically drops out of school in eighth grade and then goes straight to get a job. They also owe so much fucking money that like they, she can't not really work. Yeah. And she says the one thing is because Scientologists have all dropped out of school, it's pretty easy to get a job because they will give a job to literally anybody. Like they don't believe in education. She like worked at an insurance company. She worked <laughs> at a lot of places and... But she wanted to be an actress. And I mean, as we know now, they she did. Oh, the other here's oh. what the other interesting thing is at this point, she has a group of Scientology kids she's hanging out with. And she talks about how they're all squatting. That mm-hmm. because of the be- belief that children are not children, that children are just adults and little bodies, <laughs> there's like really no family unit in Scientology, which is interesting. I mean, we'll get to it later, but 
she meets her husband while he's still married and she talks about having no respect for the family unit because of her own family and like what her dad and Dennis did to the family. That's why I feel like they were so okay with Scientology and the idea that children are not children because that actually aligned with the values, like their sickest values. Yeah. I think if you were a mother who was like, no matter what, this kid is going to, like, I want my kid to get a good education and go to college and make a better life. Like, I don't see a lot of, like, first-gen immigrants doing this because, like, that is not their mentality of, like, you know, I mean, those, like, people who have, like, built a whole new life for your family to, like, give your children just a little bit of a better life. Like, they're not coming in being like, let's meet you when I meet you. (laughs) Yeah, and then that's the thing is because overall Scientologists, it seems like they've been tricked into believing that having a good life is actually not important because of this eternity situation. You are not working in service of having a better life in this lifetime. You're working in service of having a better planet for the eternity and for your eternity. So like, that's why they're like living in absolute squalor because they don't, a lot of these people just don't care about having they're nice all things. Broke. The other thing is they're all being mm-hmm. milk dry for like their money. Later when she starts making a little bit of money from acting, she has to really convince her mother using Scientology logic that they should move into like a remotely decent apartment in Burbank. But it's like they also all have... She says that the average Scientologist, regardless of how much money they make, will give $500,000 in their lifetime mm-hmm. or spend $500,000, which is insane. I mean, she even says like her whole family is... Everyone's in debt all the time to the yeah. Scientology church i do see how even though it fucked her up a lot and really drained her of her income there are some weird benefits of scientology which is that you cannot drink for 24 hours before you go into a scientology church and you have to go into church six days a week so that does not leave a lot of time for drinking yeah there's like two hours a week that you could potentially get drunk these kids would just like hang out on um mini mart like parking lots and find I guess like drug addict adults and be like we can help you like they they you don't think of them as like weird little church kids but in a way they were just like little church freaks like they were like very youth youth group yeah very youth group vibe because even though they would like rebel and there was like a couple times where she would go drink with the other kids they also always like owned up to their shit because they were so involved because you can't partially do Scientology that's like the big thing is that you're like either at the church two and a half hours a day on course and like probably working there and probably, you know, and probably employed by a Scientologist. All of your friends are Scientologists. Like you really, it's not like a halfway thing. You can't like casually. It's like being orthodox or something. Yeah, It really is like everyone is around you is doing it. And I also think, I mean, back to the values thing of the family unit is not the value, but if there is one value from Scientology, it's celebrity. Uh Uh-huh. And I do think that's funny. That's like almost why it worked out. Like Leah was so into it because Leah says at this point, her sister starts falling away. When Leah's 18, her sister's no longer involved in it. She's actually going towards Christianity. And it wasn't like a hard break. It was just, she just stopped being interested. And Leah said she personally didn't care that much that Nicole wasn't that invested. Leah herself has never really been a big proselytizer of Scientology. She never wanted to be felt. She knew that Scientology was seen as weird and she did not want to be the weird person. But I do think it is interesting that Leah was so invested in it. And I do think it was because it was in a perfect alignment of goals and that she also wanted to be famous and she wanted to be celebrated. And she talks a lot about why Scientology is so appealing is because if you are somebody who's never felt like you fit in, you go and they tell you you're so important and they tell you your dreams are possible. And if you give them a thousand dollars, they write you a certificate and say, you've done something so important. And there is so much praise and give back. If you if you give a little, they'll give you a lot, and then they expect even more from you, and then they start giving you less. But um, but it does make you feel good. And so she says, I also felt that I had to be something bigger than a Sea Org member to ever regain respect after being a deserter. So I thought the only way to do so is to become a celebrity, or what Scientology calls an opinion leader, one who is persuasive and whose opinion matters. 
Yeah, because that is also one of the most valuable things within Scientology is it's not necessarily just getting the word out to people on an individual basis. Like it's not like walking in, yeah. walking down the street and getting people to join Scientology. It's projecting a positive view of Scientology onto the world, which is something you can do as a celebrity. Well, the idea, the pitch of Scientology is if you do it correctly, you will you have to become successful because you're making yourself like the ultimate version of yourself and look at the proof. Like if it didn't work, then how could Tom Cruise be so successful? And then of course, I mean, something Leah says, and we'll get into this more. She's like, you know, I would look at other people whose lives are falling apart and be like, it's because they're not in Scientology. And she's like, meanwhile, my life was falling apart. I never asked how come my life is falling apart, even though I am in Scientology. Yeah. Cause she just sort of believed that she just like wasn't Scientology hard enough. So a big belief in Scientology is either you are an able being, meaning someone who can overcome any obstacle and achieve any goal, or you are simply an average person who can't make it happen. I couldn't be average. There is this huge belief in Scientology that non-Scientologists are just the everyman, which is like to them... They call them wogs. Yeah. Well and orderly gentlemen. Just like an absolute insult. And I think that that is also very important is that it's not like a swear word. It's not a curse. It's just to say like... Well, I can't, I don't want to be like you. You're regular. I'm not regular. I'm superior. Now begins her acting career, which is the fun, the fun light part of the book with a lot of name drops. She gets her first agent from, this is going to be heartbreaking. Brace yourselves. Juliet Lewis. Sherry's brother is dating her because she is a Scientologist. And I guess her parents are in Hollywood and they're kind of famous and they're Scientologists. She's a Scientologist to this day. I looked it up. That is sick. So basically the story of Leah Remini is that she's just going audition after audition after audition. She is one type and the type is Leah Remini. It's the sassy, cute girl from Brooklyn with a thick accent who will slug you in the mouth but a heart of gold who's going to apologize and make you love her. Can I say? Yeah. It is very interesting to me. So she makes an impression in Hollywood. Some of her first um, splashes the first sort of casting director who's really like looking out for her and trying to find a role mm-hmm. for her are these people that she really will like flip out on when she perceives that she's been wronged like she thinks that he talks shit about her to her yeah, manager. Yeah the story is she meets this casting director um, he loves her. He loves mm-hmm. her little accent. He brings her in to audition. She's never taken an acting class. She has absolutely no... She fucking bombs it. She gets really nervous in a room. She can't read. Uh, he's like, sorry, kid. You got you to gotta get better before I bring you in front of anybody else. She goes to like McDonald's, uses their phone, calls them, hysterically cries, begs and pleads and begs. I mean, she literally calls the assistant of this huge casting yeah. director, gets him on the phone, begs for another chance. He says, okay. When her agent finds out, she goes, you never fucking call... A casting, like, how dare you? So she skips her her redo trial. And then when he calls her and says, why didn't you come in for your audition? He, she goes, you fucking asshole. You lied to me. You told my age and I called. And he's like, that didn't happen. And then she's like, oh, my bad. Right. So this is what I want to talk about is like all of her Scientology practices are about like remaining level headed. Like so much of it is about calming your reactive mind. And like all of these moments come from her reacting psychotically. It is insane. Oh yeah, she's I mean, like the deeply fact, troubled. First of all, the fact that she it. I mean, we talked about this a little bit between you and I. It was very interesting to me that she had so much trouble auditioning. She would get very nervous in auditions, and when she finally got um, a studio read, which is where you make it or a test screen test where you're auditioning in front of the whole studio. Um, for like the final rounds of auditions, she would just get so nervous and so in her head. And it's like, you have been training to not overreact since you were 11. And the fact that you cannot pull it off when it actually matters is hilarious to me. And also 
the fact that she would just call and flip out at these people that really mattered in helping with her career, it was just the exact opposite of everything she's ever learned, but she still believes that she's like working towards Scientology and Scientology is going to help her career. And it's like the tools that Scientology could have helped with are tools that you are not using. Well, it's funny. Okay. So it's funny you say that because she does finally land a role on this show called living dolls. It made it for one season. It co-starred Halle Berry. Um, she plays a model in it and they're like, you're not a model, but you're funny. And let me tell you, you look at those pictures. You're like, she is not a model <laughs> to be playing a model and not be a model and be next to Halle Berry. It really like emphasizes how not of a model you are. But, yeah. Um, I think that standing next to Halle Berry for anyone really emphasizes whether they are or not a model. Yeah. And I think most answers are going to be, you're not, <laughs> even if you are, that's a tough, that's a tough person to be next to. The thing that lands her that role is they bring in someone from Scientology to help her. And they have this thing in Scientology called the tone chart, which is like the way you speak is either uptown tone or downtone. And there's 40 tones and each emotion has a corresponding tone. So uptone is happy and joyful and downtone yeah. is sad and dreary. And like jealous and angry. Negative and like, emotions. If you're downtone, it means you're like bringing people down with you. Then there's also ones that's like if you're downtone, that could just be that you're gay. Gay is a tone. Yeah. Which I mean like it is. But, <laughs> I mean, they, but they're, not, they're not wrong. Argue if you've ever... I would argue that gay is actually quite uptone. It is uptone <laughs> in a normal human belief, but I guess if you're homophobic, you'd call it downtone. Yeah. That's but, the thing um, is so downtone is like used as a way to like say that someone's being like a drag and like you don't, it's, it's like more bad. than a drag. It's yeah. like somebody who's literally dragging you down to be a worse yes. version of yourself. It's like a, a dangerous subversive but person. But it's like if you came in here like all hot and like mean and I was like you'd be like why are you so downtone yeah you'd you know be like, why are you downtone 1.5 <laughs> so they have this guy come in and teach a tone class and have her go through all the lines at each level she says like 2.5 was boredom 0.07 is hopeless and then there was higher levels and that's like an excellent acting course and she went in and she nailed it and it really yeah. is funny because in that way she says not only the practice but that knowing so many people in the Scientology community were so Supporting her, like, gave her mm -hmm. the confidence. Yeah, and I will say that it is an excellent way to, like, be directed is to have that tool in your head to be like, oh, okay, the director is telling me to, like, deliver it softer, so I need to take it down, like, two tones or to whatever. To literally like, practice associating, like, a yeah. hearing people speak with exact emotions is good acting. So she gets that. I mean, honestly, her 20s are riddled with parts that she gets, parts that she doesn't get. She says she was in 25 different shows that got canceled. In addition to Juliette Lewis, unfortunately, being... A Scientologist. She, she talks about absolutely hung up on Courtney Cox. <laughs> and well, both the Friends girls. Yeah. So she talks about Jennifer Aniston. Here's what she says about Jennifer Aniston. Jennifer Aniston and I had become friends from seeing each other at so many various auditions. She was normal, unlike most other actresses who, if you tried to make small talk, like asking where they were from, would accuse you of trying to psych them out. Uh, Jennifer was really sweet. One time she got a role over Jennifer and Jennifer was like legitimately nice about it. She talks about auditioning to be Monica and spending the whole day auditioning. Her and this other girl is between the two of them. They were like waiting to see who would get sent home. They both get sent home and they're like, what the fuck? And then in the parking lot, they see Courtney Cox go in and she's just like, oh, I guess it's going to Courtney Cox. And right she was. She says she cried for days after the not getting friends because she I knew it would be such a hit. that is valid I think that like out of all the things to not get especially now looking back on it it's not like one of those things where you're like well I did achieve other things with my career like I think every actor who was up for friends and didn't get friends probably looks back on it I guess my question <laughs> though is how did they know then because as someone who's recently seen the pilot of friends it didn't I don't know why it had any more 
hope than any other show. I feel like that show got good against the better wishes. Everything yeah. I've heard about Friends is that the people who created Friends had literally no idea what Friends should be. Like they wanted Rachel to be Monica. Yeah. They like, I just had truly no idea. I don't know how she knew from the pilot, but it seems like she knew something and she was right because yeah. it's not. I guess most pilots are God awful. Yeah. So even a bad pilot is like. I do think that like two. I mean, think about the other shows from that era. I could not name more than like three of them. And so it is interesting because she talks a lot about, she was very on par with the Friends cast. And this is probably why every actor of that time who was even remotely up for Friends feels so strongly about it is because she was like, none of them were known except for Ross. Yeah. They were all nobodies. I remember watching this whole show about like the people in Friends and Monica's previous big break was she was in a Bruce Springsteen video and she was the first person to ever see the word period on TV in a tampon commercial <laughs> before it had been like referred to as like a lady's special secret um, a lady's personal hell I just feel like and now looking it's not like a thing that gets easier over time like now looking back on it you're like wow how many millions of dollars would I yeah. <laughs> have no made? yeah every time you're like you know how I feel about that when I was in college, I took like one computer science course. And so I went to a computer science um, job fair. Mm-hmm. This is going to be hard to say. This is a joke. that this, My dad likes to pretend that this is a joke because he can't <laughs> really handle it. But um, I was like going through all the things. And there was all the big companies. And I thought I was, even though I don't know shit about computer science, I thought I was too good for the little companies. And so this one little company, I talked to them. And then afterwards, they sent me an email being like, hey, we really loved you. Like, we'd love to have you come in and like interview for a, for an internship. And I was just like... Yeah, right. I'm too good for this. Even though I would not have been... Like, to this day, I'm not too good for it. Um, Anyway, I ignored them. I never got back to them. The company was Venmo. (laughs) (laughs) I would have been, like, the fourth employee at Venmo. Goddamn. That is your friends. (laughs) That is my friends. Um, We all have it. I'm glad that mine wasn't even in my desired career. That I'm just, like, making mistakes in truly every aspect of my life. Another fun one. 27, she was like burnt out and over it. At 27 mm-hmm. is when she says she had already been on 25 canceled shows and like she didn't think it was going to happen for her. So when she got the King of Queens script, she was like, no, fuck it, I'm not doing it. Kevin James personally called her up and said, what do you got better to do? Count all the money you're not making. And she like loved that he was such a hard ass. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's what really got her. Les Moonves calls up Leah's agent and says, who the fuck does Leah think she is passing in a show when she just came off some shitty show for NBC? And she says, Mm -hmm. oddly enough, that kind of honesty always cheers me up. I got up and showered and took the meeting with Kevin. Les Moonves was a real man I needed to work for. She talks about Les Moonves being great, like being honest, giving it to you straight and him being a real man. And that there's not that many real men in the industry. And it is so funny because then she later goes on to say, like she has a list of things that she knows to be true about men growing up in such a toxic household. And it's like that all men will fuck you over, that men have no respect for women, that men will break up a family, that men see all women as objects, that men do everything they can to hurt a woman's feelings. And I'm like, the fact that that's what you can out and out say a real man is and then call Les Moonves a real man and the fact that Les Moonves has now been outed as like a horrible sexual abuser is like it all adds up perfectly and I really do think she should be like a red flag dog detective (laughs) she could just like sniff him out from a mile away so at this point she's already met and started seeing her um eventual husband they did somehow work out but like everything about their relationship was red flag after red flag he was very much married when they got together. Yeah. So he was cheating on her, his wife. She didn't know at first, but then he finally comes clean. And Leah doesn't know what to do because she says up until this point, she had been cheating a ton too. Yeah, she had cheated on everyone she ever dated. And she talks about like being very promiscuous and trying to have sex like a man would have sex because she didn't want to get hurt. A lot of like, you can't sleep over sweethearts. I got to let the dog out. There's no dog situations. Yeah. 
So she goes to Scientology and she confesses her over. So she's been having sex with a married man and she doesn't know what to do. And believe it or not, the Scientology answer is more money. So they say what you need to do to, for penance basically is get him and his wife into couples counseling and you have to pay for it. So she does. She pays $5,000 for him to go to couples counseling with his wife. Yeah. And she said Scientology couples counseling is very specific in that they make you say everything you've ever done to somebody. <laughs> and this man had had sex with like anything that walked. He says yeah. that one of his stories is that he had had sex with an entire bridal party. I just don't even know how that's possible. Like, I've they all take turns or was it all at a time? Met men. They like don't have that kind of energy. <laughs> He was he was something else. Maybe it was a small bride. This was back in the day before you had 12 bridesmaids. That could have just been three people. Okay, okay. That's possible. And maybe he was like kind of coked up and drunk. And so it was like he didn't come. But they yeah. each got... It was very hefsitch where it's like one at a time. They jump hop on, on jump but it's not like one full sex with each woman. Yeah. <laughs> I think he was like tenderly making love and doing the, like a lot of foreplay, a lot of cuddling. <laughs> like he was in like two hour sessions with each of them. <laughs> he was just drinking raw eggs in between to get it He's going. He's like leaving magazines in his living room for them to <laughs> <laughs> peruse. <laughs> then she's like... This is interesting because this is where I see the pseudo-psychology of Scientology being very pervasive and something that is hard to get out of. So what they say, I mean, their whole overt thing of any way you're critical of somebody, it's true for you too. She was like, as someone who had cheated my whole life, I felt like being given this ultimate cheater was exactly what Scientology always says, which is like, you get what you put out there. Yeah. Because that is like one of those, like you do get what you give. Like there is truth to that, that the energy you put out is the energy that you will receive. If you are right. a toxic person, you're going to be in toxic relationships if you're cheating a lot. I mean, she says, and this is, I think, therapized future Leah looking back and not Scientology Leah. She's like, I was always looking for somebody worse than, more fucked up than me so I didn't have to feel bad about how fucked up I was. And I do think that that is a very relatable statement that a lot of people, I mean, I see this with girls all the time. They date like disgusting men and then when those guys are too good for them, they're like, well, I have to go lower. And it's like, Maybe stop going. Like, maybe the digging is the problem. <laughs> and the Scientology brain of Leah Remini, she was like, this is my overt coming to get me or some shit. So they stopped talking. And wouldn't you believe it? Angelo, her husband, does a full 180. He tries to clean up his life. He stops shooting on his wife. And his wife fucking hates him. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's so funny. And he's home with his wife. They're hanging out. And it turns out they just straight up hate each other. And he, she literally says to him, look, go get a girlfriend. I don't want you home. Like, just come home at night and don't tell me about it. You don't need to break up your family. Just, mm-hmm. and he, so he leaves her, honestly, and he ends up going to Leah and they're married to this day. Yeah. And I do think it's interesting that that's also part of their origin story. The fact that he went to couples, like Scientology counseling with his ex and the fact that he was like sort of soft introduced to Scientology because he never becomes into it but he was always very accepting of it she always talks about she like didn't want to date Scientologists I think you always she always had like one hair out the door do you know what I mean yeah she wasn't proselytizing she says like she didn't she wanted a normal boyfriend I mean she talks about being on the set of the king of queens and everybody laughing at her because she like she her big thing as a celebrity which was like low level but still was that she was the weird Scientologist and people would kind of give her shit for it and she's like I wish I was known as the diva and I was like I think you might be but (laughs) but she was like people really get she was working hard I mean she was working 12 hour days on king of queens and then after that she was go have to do two and a half hours of Scientology stuff. Yeah, I truly do not know how she did it. So they do end up getting married. She gets King of Queens. Mm-hmm. They're rich. They're having fun. They get married basically because Scientology tells them to. Yeah. And she has this funny thing where she says, what's the big deal? You could always get divorced. And she says, uh, divorce runs rampant in Scientology because nobody there believes in the family unit. Everything is for the church. Yeah. And so like you wouldn't, 
you wouldn't see your wife or your husband as your first priority. The church is your first priority. And so I guess if your wife or husband is getting in the way of your church bullshit, you just end it. Yeah, so then they end up having a little baby. And here's what we learn about what it is to have a baby. And keep this in mind, later we're going to talk about Tom Cruise and Katie Holmes. Yeah. And I remember her silent birth. So, yeah, next next week we're going to talk about what it's like to be in the church as a celebrity. Yeah, but so here, as a pregnant lady, it sounds but awful. <laughs> she says about her birth plan, my plan was to be a good Scientologist and not use an epidural. But when I felt the real thing go down, I yelled, get that anesthesiologist in here before I kill somebody. The doctor was, in on, was on it and didn't understand why she had waited so long. But why had she waited so long? She, I didn't even try to explain to him that the church teaches you that drugs will make the baby susceptible to what is said during labor so that it gets recorded in your child's reactive mind, the place where pain is stored. So if I said, to, I don't know why the pain would be stored there. There is no pain. You're on an epidural. If anything, the epidural will close off the reactive mind because there's no pain. But she's like, so if I said to the nurse, you are a horrible person, my, my daughter might go through life acting out the role of a horrible person, thinking I was talking to her. Similarly, that's the reason Scientologists espouse the concept of a silent birth, which LRH, L. Ron Hubbard, described in Dianetics as providing an environment where no one, not even the doctors or the nurses in the room, talks during the delivery. Interesting that L. Ron Hubbard never actually has to go through birth. Again, it's because of these times of pain, loss, or unconsciousness, Words in particular spoken during these moments can have an adverse effect on one later in life. Women can make sounds during birth, but they aren't supposed to say any words. So that's like the freaky shit about Scientology is, of course, it's very sexist. It's not overtly sexist, but like all the high class people are sir and mister. Women should not speak during childbirth. It's a lot of subjugation of women. They hate the gays. And also just like medical practice in general is another, this is another good example of their like weird like believing that they are more scientific than science, like having their own views. Like they don't really believe in medication overall, yeah, which we'll also get into next week. They're very, I do, and, but I will say, and I think we were saying this earlier, there are some things that I think Leah took and was stronger for because she didn't really drink. She didn't do drugs. I mean, it does keep, keep you clean and sober. Mm-hmm. And it, does, it keeps you away from bad people because you just don't have the time for them. Like, I mean, Britney yeah. Spears would have never met Sam Lefty if she had been spending three hours a day. If only Britney had heard of Scientology. Well, honestly, she would have been sober. Yeah, that would have been big. Okay, I will so say, maybe she should have gotten Britney into Scientology. And she wouldn't have cared when they took her kids because they teach you not to love your kids. <laughs> so honestly, I think Scientology would have given Britney everything she needed, which was... Uh, a place to go and a hobby. I really do think that girl needed some structure. Yeah. It would have gotten her off drugs and alcohol and would have taught her uh, how to get rid of her one big emotional blind spot, which is the love of her children. I will say that as a person with a lot of um, toxic traits, I really sometimes during parts of this book read it and thought, I don't know, would it be so bad? Like I could use some discipline in my life. I feel like that whole manual labor situation would get me really skinny. Like I've always she thought. She talks about <laughs> how it's like it makes you a good student because you have to go in there and study two and a half hours a day and you study like in their library. Mm-hmm. And if they see you move or like scratch your head, they come over and quiz you on literally everything and they'll go through everything you were supposed to be studying back to the beginning. And if you don't know any of it, you have to start over. And she's like, it really teaches you some fucking scholastic discipline. Yeah, it's too bad they just didn't learn any actual things. Yeah, too, imagine spending all of your life studying bullshit. I guess... <laughs> I guess that's what they used to do back in the day. Like all those people who thought demons lived in Europe, all those barbers who yeah. thought they were like helping bipolar disorder by just drilling skulls. That was a lot of wasted time. That was barbers? <laughs> yeah, that's why um, barber symbols are like white and red because of the blood. Ooh. It was like, get your hair cut, get your brain checked. They handled everything neck and up, which honestly makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I talked to my hair cutter like he's a 
psychologist. <laughs> Ask him to take a take a knife to your skull and see <laughs> see what gets what escapes. What kind of Pandora's box of the um, ghosts? Oh, Leah, as of course though, she always gives us a little bit of celebrity gossip. She says. She regretted not planning a C-section, the celebrity thing to do. And while somebody's already down there, they get a quick nip and tuck. I hadn't thought this out in the celebrity way. So I think that's she a did gain 80 pounds when yeah, she, she was... Yeah, she gained a lot of fucking weight. But I will say, I, th- I do think they all... She talks about how everyone gets to... Uh, just like snaps back and gives her kind of a complex about her mommy bod. But she's like, I couldn't take diet pills because I don't believe in drugs. And she's she didn't think about it. I think most of those women who are like, how do they look so good after three weeks after postpartum? And it's like, well... They literally tightened it back up bodice style with their own skin. (laughs) That is a disgusting thing to say. Do you remember when um, Rob Kardashian paid like 100K for China to get her mommy body back? And Mm. then they like broke up immediately. He was like, look at how much I paid for you. Oh, that is a disgusting thing to say. Um, So she has this baby. And I... What didn't happen for Shannon does happen for Leah's daughter, which I think is interesting. I was always shocked that, I guess because Vicky had nowhere to go, but Leah does have somewhere to go and she refuses to raise her daughter as a Scientologist. Her daughter is not a Scientologist at all and it's because she doesn't want her daughter to feel weird. Well, that's what I mean is by, you can always tell that she kind of had like one toe out the door, one little nozzle of hair because she, you know, she does have these doubts. She's kind of embarrassed that she's the weird Scientologist at work. She doesn't want her daughter to grow up feeling different. Like the fact that she can acknowledge that what she's doing is weird and different and possibly not okay is like a yeah, very if you clear really sign. believed that you would want to put on your daughter, but her maternal love is too much. And she talks about how she knew she wouldn't raise her daughter either in the church or also with the principles of the church because the way they talk about child rearing is she goes, for example, I was told that if my daughter got hurt, I was not to react but perform a contact assist, which consists of putting an injured body part exactly on and in the place it was injured. So if she hit her leg on the corner of a coffee table. I was supposed to remain quiet, gently touch the, human, the hurt part of her leg to the exact spot of the table where she hit it, and continue to repeat that action until she said it was better. And she's like, instead, but if my daughter got hurt, I would run over and go, no, <laughs> like, like a normal fucking mom. So she's already, rebe- being a mother kind of opens her up. I also want to take a minute to give Leah Remini, the writer and the person, a little bit of credit here. Something that I really like from this book. I think at the end, we'll do a big wrap up about how we like it. But I do want to take a minute here to say that we have found, and it, whether it be women's fault or society's fault, that not one memoirist has ever taken a lick of accountability for maybe making a single mistake as a mother. And I understand that it's hard to be a mom and maybe you're done taking gruff and maybe it's like a, it comes from a place of strength or it comes from a place of fear because society is so angry with women and they're so unforgiving. But Leah Remini straight up talks about how she made all the money, she did her fucking best, but God damn it, she hated playing with kids. Yeah. She was like, look, maybe I'm a bad mom because I don't like to play with her. But she's like, when she's older, I'll talk to her. When she is a baby, I'll pay for everything. But she's like, I do not want to get in that sandbox and play with my daughter. I got her a nanny who will play with her. I got her friends who will play with her. But she's like, maybe I'm a bad mom and I probably am, but I don't like doing it and I'm not going to apologize. Yeah, I respect that. And I really like that a lot. So we're going to end today with Sherry, her best friend from the Sea Orgs. Sherry had quietly left when they were like 18, 19, 20. She wasn't a suppressive person, which is a person who leaves in anger and leaves against Scientology. She's somebody who was allowed to stay friends with people in Scientology as long as she wasn't turning them against it. Basically, as long as you're not bad-mouthing Scientology, you are allowed to stay in contact with Scientologists. But if you leave Scientology and encourage others to leave. Or even if you're somebody who's like, you leave because you're gay, you leave because you disagree with them. Yeah. If you leave in any kind of hostile manner, then they consider you a suppressive person. And, and no other Scientologist can ever speak to you again. And if you're caught speaking to them, they'll have to cut, be cut off by everybody. Yeah. So basically, Sherry had a brother who left 
for reasons we're not sure of, but basically he said it was so bad he had to escape. He blew, which is a phrase they use for somebody who escapes in the dead of night. He had been cut off from his wife. She was in the RPF, which was that prisoner task force. Basically, they had given him a contract saying, if you promise to never contact her again, we'll give you $25,000. He refused to take the money. And Sherry was like, look, please just talk to him. Leah goes. She's like furious. She's like, I'm being ambushed. She tells Scientology that she did this. She's like, I'm going to have to cut Sherry out of my life forever. And this is really where I think we see her. Although we see the motherhood, she's like she's not going to raise her daughter as a Scientologist. Here we see that she is truly in the peak of her throes of Scientology and that she's cutting out her lifelong best friend, not even hearing out her own brother. Mm-hmm. A woman who has never tried to turn her against Scientology before. Somebody who has facts and evidence and proof and he's just like, all he's saying is read these documents that your church gave me. And she turns on them and cuts them out. Yeah, she refuses to acknowledge it. And this begins, I think, I think this is the first beginning of... The first chip leaving Leah leaving and she meets it with absolute aggression and hostility and refusal yeah but we'll see where it goes from there you guys please come back next week it gets crazier she becomes a more famous celeb and we're going to Tom and Katie's wedding Tomcat they called them for a moment you guys can't even imagine the celebrity name drops we're gonna find out and then when it all comes crashing down it comes like a fucking five million dollar pile of bricks which is how much money she gave for them to build some bricks (laughs) so tune back in we're so excited let us know what you want to hear let us know your comments follow like subscribe bye bye